Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Sess Show. Today is the 5th of November, and a lot has been going on. Boy, uh, apparently, it's eight, seven, six. Well, <laughs> tomorrow is the day that I can literally start talking about something where the statute of limitation in just a few hours expires. You know, because I don't want to get anyone arrested for committing a crime. So, got to hold on to that one. I mean... <laughs> So instead today, I'm going to showcase to you someone that I've talked about very little, only because a friend of mine was uh, in close proximity with them for some reason. Uh, Not for some reason. They didn't take any money, but they could have quashed them. Um, So I'm going to introduce you to the real issue at hand. I know everyone loves to hate the Mercers. So do I. Everyone loves to hate Al in Texas. So do I. Everybody loves to hate these billionaires, but there's, see, those people are in the public eye, right? Those people are in the public eye. People know their name. They're in the news for whatever reason. There's at least a couple of YouTube videos talking shit about them, right? That's the way it usually is. And one would say, oh, it's because they're super criminals and they can't hide it anymore, like Epstein. And it was like, you know, the whole point of Epstein was to flaunt that shit. He was the honeypot for all of these, saying, yep, I got the title, so you're going to be seen with me. That's step number one. Step number two is what we collect. You know, today has been a very odd day. I don't want to get into too many details, but it's been extremely odd. And therefore... I will remain careful until it's over. See, enemies or people that are waiting in the shadows are the most dangerous. Enemies that wait for years to pounce. But then there's enemies that stay within the shadows and balance the scales with their thumbs Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. And today, you're going to be introduced to them. But before we do, before we do, we should talk about, you know, let's talk about the vid a little bit. Let's talk about what's happening with Fauci. Let's talk about how the CDC employees aren't getting vaccinated. Let's talk about how definitions are being changed. It's important We revisit these and reinforce these ideas that we've been talking about for years, but now they seem to be trendy. So (laughs) since everyone's else catching up, let's revisit it and reinforce it. So number one, other people need to get vaccinated, but not their people. So let's take a look exactly how many of their people are getting vaccinated. A couple things. As I walked in, I came in late. One of either you or Dr. Fauci were saying that the reason that we're not saying that natural immunity is protective as is a vaccine, even though there's recent publications showing that six to eight months out, 92% of those with natural immunity have T cells, B cells, and antibodies that would be considered adequate to protect. And indeed, B cell continues to climb. That we don't have data. Now, in your response to Mr. Casey, you just mentioned that CDC has access to tens of thousands of EHRs. 
And I've been told that HHS or CDC has access to patient identifiable data as to who tests positive. So I do that as a prologue. If we don't know that natural immunity confers protection against future infection, it's because we've decided not to look. Because I've learned that there is a cohort of people that we know have been previously infected. We've got the bench research showing that the uh, triad of antibodies, T cells, and B cells are there, and that 92% of them are still there at, age, at six months out. So why don't we, why have we not done the research showing that natural immunity confers protection against recurrent infection? Yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to clarify this point because I understand, I understand the question. Um, first of all, let me just reiterate that our current stand after reviewing 96 papers and a scientific brief on this issue is that everyone who's been previously infected should be vaccinated. But that's um, not my question. Right, agreed. So, so, and part of the challenge here is, as you know, the infection-induced immunity and the biases associated with retrospectively looking at the data. Several of those papers that we reviewed for that brief have demonstrated that the kind of disease that you had at the time you had it matters. Um, did you have disease a year and a half ago? Did you have, were you an older Can person? Can I stop you for a second? Were you? We could do this prospectively because you know who is actually, apparently I'm told you've got patient identifiable data and you would be able to say, okay, six months ago, we're going to start everybody infected within the last six months and be able to follow their EHR prospectively to see this. I mean, theoretically, CDC has the ability to do this right now. Yeah, that too would have its own biases. So one of the things that we have demonstrated in the scientific brief is that asymptomatic and mildly symptomatic people who might not present to their providers, might present to an urgent care clinic, who might not be recorded in their own EHR, likely have less robust protection than those who've been severely But that, that could be established prospectively if using the data that you have. And you could even say... If you had symptomatic infection, you don't need to be vaccinated. We would consider you immune. You don't have to be subjected to the mandate. But if, if we you had, had data, if we had data that demonstrated a correlation of protection, Dr. Fauci already mentioned data that they're working on to look at correlates of protection, not just in antibodies, but as you noted, in T cell function as well. So if we were able to document a correlate of protection, we absolutely could but prospectively But this, this paper follow. that I'm reading from, CD, from NIH speaks that there is durable memory of the virus up to eight months after infection in 95% of the people who recovered, including B cells, which continue to climb, T cells, and antibody. And I'm also saying you could do it clinically because we have data that's patient identifiable that we could go back and look and see if they were exposed. They could be in a hot spot like Louisiana where you know they're being exposed. And then you would see, not just by lab data, but empirically. I'm a, I can tell you the American people intuitively understand this, and they feel a little bit like we're being willfully blind to it. I have limited time. Let me just ask you something else. What percent of CDC employees are vaccinated? We're actively encouraging vaccination in all of our employees and doing a lot of education and outreach in order to get our agency fully vaccinated. And the, but the percent? I don't have that for you today. I'm told that 75, to, um, some north of 75% of CDC employees at headquarters are still working remotely. Is that correct? Um, we are following uh, regulations through HHS and the federal government. No, that's not my question. I apologize to be rude, but, but, but I'm asking a very straightforward question. 
I've been told that north of 75% of employees at, at, at CDC headquarters are working remotely. Is that correct? Senator, I don't actually know the number off the top of okay, my head. When you so look I'd down the to... hallway, are there empty desks? Are over 50% of the desks empty? Senator, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. What I will tell you is that we're working closely within HHS and the administration to follow the governmental rules for return to There was a recent GAO report that shows, and released in the last two weeks, that there's been no coordinated response from the federal government to get people back into work. Now, if there's any agency that, since we have teachers in Fulton County are back at work, that the caseload of COVID in Fulton County is about 88. At its peak, it was 606. Uh, if what I've been told by someone who, frankly, kind of knows, that people in laboratories are not showing up. I have no clue how people, how laboratory workers who presumably are vaccinated wearing PPE would consider themselves eligible to stay at home. Uh, I say this because I just want to echo. We've got to lead by example in the federal government. If our public health agencies don't have enough confidence in the immunization and in the PPE to go back to work fighting infectious diseases, there's going to be a lot of undermining of, an, of a willingness to further fund public health. We absolutely have our essential labs back at work conducting their essential research towards this response. And um, we are following the regulations and providing technical assistance and technical support to the federal government for return to work policies. Uh, one more thing. I had, Angus King and I had sent a letter dated February the 25th asking about genomic surveillance. We've still not received a response. You referenced it in your early remarks. Both Senator King and I would appreciate a response. We'll get back to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ayula. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go vote. The next four senators I have in my order are Senator Baldwin, Marshall, Rosen, and Murkowski. I wanted to point out, he asked about the genomics uh, February. It's now November, and they have no answer, and he's being nice. Would you kindly respond? <laughs> it would be like, bitch, respond now. But as we can see, um, they're not forcing their employees to do anything, which uh, makes you wonder, huh? I don't, I don't expect you today, today to admit that you approved of NIH funding for gain function research in Wuhan, but your repeated denials have worn thin, and a majority of Americans, frankly, don't believe you. Even the NIH now admits that EcoHealth Alliance did perform experiments in Wuhan that created viruses not found in nature research in Wuhan, despite your protestations. You can deny it all you want, but even the Chinese authors of the paper, in their paper, admit that viruses not found in nature were created, and yes, they gained in infectivity. Your persistent denials, though, are not simply a stain on your reputation, but are a clear and present danger to the country and to the world. As Professor Kevin Esfelt of MIT has written, gain-of-function research looks like a gamble that civilization can't afford, afford to risk. Something's going on with my sound. Give me a second, you guys. Um, I have no idea why this is happening. Um, my system just decided to not be my friend. Like I said, tech problems. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, interesting, right? <laughs> interesting times, I say. Interesting times. Here we go. Let's see. With you steadfast in your denials. Why does it matter? Because gain-of-function research with laboratory-created viruses not, not found, found in nature, nature could, could cause a pandemic even, even worse the next time. We're suffering today from one that has a mortality of approximately 1%. They're experimenting with viruses that have mortalities of between 15 
and 50%. Yes, our civilization could be at risk from one of these viruses. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with known pandemic-causing viruses are incredibly risky. Experiments that combine unknown viruses with coronaviruses that have as much as 50% mortality could endanger civilization as we know it. And here you sit, unwilling to accept any responsibility for the current pandemic and unwilling to take any steps to prevent gain-of-function research from possibly unleashing an even more deadly virus. You mislead the public by saying that the published viruses could not be COVID. Well, exactly no one is alleging that. No one is alleging that the published viruses by the Chinese are COVID. What we are saying is that this was risky type of research, gain of function research. It was risky to share this with the, Ch with the Chinese and that COVID may have been created from a not yet revealed virus. We don't anticipate the Chinese are going to reveal the virus if it came from their lab. You know that, but you continue to mislead. You continue to support NIH money going to Wuhan. You continue to say you trust the Chinese scientist. You appear to have learned nothing from this pandemic. Will you today finally take some responsibility for funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator, with all due respect, I disagree with so many of the things that you've said. Gain, first of all, gain of function is a very nebulous term. We have spent, not us, but outside bodies, a considerable amount of effort to give a more precise definition to the type of research that is of concern that might lead to a dangerous situation. You are aware of that. That is called P3CO. We're aware that you deleted gain-of-function from the NIH website. Well, I can get back to that in a moment if we have time. But let's get back to the operating framework and guide rails of which we operate under. And you have ignored them. The guidelines are very, very clear that you have to be dealing with a pathogen that clearly is shown and very likely to be highly transmissible in an uncontrollable way in humans and to have a high degree of morbidity and mortality and that you do experiments to enhance that, hence the word EPPP, -P -P, enhanced pathogens of potemic, potential So when EcoHealth Alliance took the virus, well, SHC014, and combined it with WIV1 and caused a recombinant virus that doesn't exist in nature and it made mice sicker, mice that had humanized cells, you're saying that that's not gain-of-function research? According to the framework and guidelines... So what you're doing P3, is defining away gain-of-function. No. You're simply saying it doesn't exist because you changed the definition on the NIH website. This is terrible, and you're, you're completely trying to escape right. the idea that we should do something about trying to prevent a pandemic from leaking from a lab. There's, the preponderance of evidence now points towards this coming from the lab, and what you've done is changed the definition right. on your website to try to cover your ass, basically. That's what you've done. You've changed the website right. to try to have a new definition that doesn't include the risky research that's going on. Until you admit that it's risky, we're not going to get anywhere. You have to admit that this research was risky. The NIH has now rebuked them. Your own agency has rebuked them. But That's, the thing is, is you're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function when they say they became sicker. They gained in lethality. It's a new right. virus. That's not gain of function? According to the definition that is currently <laughs> operable, you know, Senator, let's one. make it clear for the people who are listening. The current definition was done over a two- to three-year period 
by outside bodies, including the NSABB, two conferences by the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine on December 2014, March 2016. We commissioned external risk-benefit assessment, and then on January of 2017, the Office of Science and Technology Policy of the White House issued the current policy. And coincidentally, I, I coincidentally have not the definition any appeared definition. on the same day the NIH said that, yes, there was a gain of function in Wuhan, the same day the definition appeared, the new definition, to try to define away what's going on in Wuhan. Until you accept it, until you expect, accept responsibility, we're not going to get anywhere right. close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't admit well, that it's dangerous, and for that lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. Thank you, Senator Paul. And I would like um, to give the time to Dr. Fauci. Yeah, well, there were so many things that are egregious misrepresentation here, uh, Madam Chair, that I don't think I'd be able to refute all of them, but just a couple of them for the listens to hear for. You have said that I am unwilling to take any responsibility for the current pandemic. I have no responsibility for the current pandemic. The current pandemic, okay? Number two, you said the overwhelming amount of evidence indicates that's a lab leak. I believe most card-carrying Viral phylogenists and molecular virologists would disagree with you that it's much more likely, even though we leave open all possibilities, it's much more likely that this was a natural occurrence. Third, you say we We've can tested 80,000 animals and no animals Senator have been Paul, found with COVID. Senator Paul, the time is set for And third, you made a statement just a moment ago that's completely incorrect, where you say we continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You proved it in August of last year. No, no, your statement says, quote, I wrote it down as you were writing. You continue to support research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You were in committee a month ago which and said you still trust the Chinese scientists and you still support the research over there. You said it a month ago Senator in committee. Senator Paul, I have allowed Dr. Fauci to respond. You've had your time. I'm going to give him He's an, going to be dishonest. Minute. He ought to be challenged. Senator Paul, we will allow Dr. Fauci to respond after you've given accusations like that. Dr. Fauci. Well, I don't have any more to say except to say that, as usual, and I've, I have a great deal of respect yeah, respect. Where's that respect for humankind? Where's that respect for the people that entrusted them? Remember when President Trump put Scarf Lady and Fauci, when they were like, tell us, tell us, President, uh, what's going on? And then he did his hands like, here you go. Here's Fauci. Here she is. You tell them. You're, you're the experts. They wanted you as experts. Now you go tell them everything you need to tell them because you're the experts. Remember, he did that. He did that. And I said, well, he's putting him on the spot. Good for him. Because that's exactly what they needed to be put on the spot and to be put forward. Burks and him. But many will say that, that that's not something we needed. Oh, yes, we did. We totally did. See, you have to let people pull their own pants down. You can, you can have all the evidence you want. 
You can have videos, texts, calls, emails, you name it, you can have it. But it's worthless when the people are deaf. It's worthless when the people are blind. But Tori, there's a lot of people out there that understand. Yeah, but are they at least 1%? Are they at the same level of actually seeing things? No. So no matter how you complain or you put it out or you say things, people will always doubt. I mean, you know, a great example is I was telling a bunch of people that I associate with in this fight against election fraud. Hey, you're being watched. I've seen messages. I've seen videos. I've seen calls, pictures, everything. This is, we're talking springtime. Shut up, Tori. Stop. We would know. Um, obviously, you're not as smart as I am. I see everything. I'm telling you. The next month, hey, yo, saw this about X, Y, and Z. Maybe you guys should kind of watch who you run with. Nothing. Then I talked about the America First audit chats. Nothing, right? I'm not going to put it out there because sometimes you warn and you warn, but if people don't have the ears to hear it, don't have the eyes to see it, they will never see it. See, this is where the whole world is waking up. Even the people that had put Fauci on a pedestal are now like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And you know, here I am for years now telling you, watch how they change definitions. That's how you know the problem is going on here. That you need to watch the definitions. Watch the definitions. But people never pay attention to things like that. They don't. Now, before we get into the meat of things, I am trying to get, why is this not working? It's really not working today. Let me see if I can get it to work this time. Say it will. Yes, it will. The Democrats are so far gone that even the Democrats are against the Democrats. Take a listen to this. All right, uh, Joe Manchin continue to get Greek, this time outside a parking garage in uh, Washington, D.C., follows up on a, a similar protest outside his houseboat, uh, but it continues. And the target is simply because he wants to wait, look at this, don't be in a rush for all the spending. Joe Lieberman appeals for him, the uh, former senator and former vice presidential candidate. It's a great book out that harkens back to a, a time that maybe we could talk to each other. It's called The Centrist Solution. Lots to get into there. Senator, uh, very good to have you. What do you think of what your former colleague uh, uh, is getting into almost every other day? Yeah, well, first, uh, Neil, welcome back. I'm so glad you're feeling better. Uh, we're all Thank you, concerned about you. Um, I, I would say it. that I feel Joe Manchin's pain because I've been there a few times. But, you know, I know <laughs> I know Joe and I know his record. He's just doing what he's always done. He is a centrist. He always... He may be more liberal on some things, conservative on others, but he's always moving to the center to try to bring different uh, opinions together to get something done. And that's exactly what the government in Washington needs now, instead of all the catcalling and attack and counterattack. I think Joe Manchin has single-handedly uh, saved the republic from 
uh, the adoption of some legislation that will cost taxpayers a lot and probably increase the debt hasn't been ill-considered. I mean, that social service uh, entitlement, uh, the second bill uh, being considered in the House now. And incidentally, although the Democrats don't seem to appreciate it, I think Joe Manchin has saved the Democratic Party from a political disaster if uh, that bill is adopted, because as we saw in Virginia, to some extent, in New Jersey, people got the message that those programs sounded good. Somebody was going to have to pay for them, and it was going to yeah. be the taxpayers. You know, it's interesting, um, and I want to get into your book a little bit because you talk about a centrist not necessarily being a matter of liberal or, or, or conservative, but uh, there are bigger issues right. for your party or your former party to deal with right now, and no less than James Carville kind of capped it this way on what bedevils Democrats. Take a look at this. Defund the police lunacy to take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. I mean, that people see that. And it, 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 it's, it's just really a, have a suppressive effect all across the country. The Democrats, some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something. I mean, they're, they're expressing a language that people just don't use. And there's a backlash and a frustration at that. What did you make of that, Senator? Oh, I, I think, uh, first off, I love the idea of a woke detox center. But secondly, <laughs> uh, James is right. And, uh, you know, there's some groups in the Democratic Party, maybe the so-called progressive wing, that think if, you, think if you just keep creating programs, don't charge anybody anything, everybody will love it. But we saw something, and the voters spoke. They, the voters are always the way uh, government gets a message in our democracy. In New Jersey and in Virginia particularly, they were really more focused on so-called cultural issues, like the ones James is talking about, than they were on the, whether the, the social service entitlement $2 trillion, $4 trillion bill was going to pass Congress because it's not their values. They, they, they know they need the yeah. uh, police. They respect Abraham Lincoln. They don't want their kids uh, taught to downgrade uh, America. And uh, unless the Democratic Party goes back to some of those mainstream values, American values, the values that really built our country, uh, the Democratic candidates are not going to win elections. You know, Senator, I was wondering what has happened to the Democratic Party. And a lot of people say, well, every party goes through these um, sort of what are we stages. Uh, but it does seem to me, at least, to be the progressives running the show, the arguing about, you know, dealing with both of these measures at the same time, no matter what moderates say. The president seems to be uh, on their side. Do, do you see it that way? Do you see that the progressives and, and maybe by doubling down even after these contests this week have not changed? Yeah, I think the progress, progressives, particularly in the House, but also uh, in the Senate, have um, more influence in the Democratic Party. And unfortunately, apparently, with the Biden White House, than their numbers entitle them to. I mean, remember, in my opinion, why did uh, Joe Biden get nominated? Because he was the moderate candidate. A lot of Democrats were worried that Bernie Sanders was going to get nominated and he would never right. uh, defeat Donald Trump. So now Biden comes in, really, in all my years, 24 in the Senate with him, uh, uh, really a centrist, always uh, building bipartisan coalitions. But, and, and he beat Trump for that reason, because he, they were looking for somebody who would be calmer and, uh, and try to bring t people together. The con country is hungering for unity. And, and then the left in the Democratic Party 
began to demand and demand and pull the White House in that direction. But there's some history to this, right? I mean, if you think about it, Joe, there's a lot of history to this. You bring up in the book, it's a fascinating book. I heard a lot of people read it because there's actually a lot of great dirt in there. Um, But in the sector solution, you talk about back in 2008, when John McCain was very seriously entertaining you as his running mate. As you know, he later picked Sarah Palin. Uh, the rest is history. Uh, but the Carl Rove uh, played a key role in trying to push you out of the notion of joining the ticket. What what happened then? Could you explain that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you got to give McCain credit because when he told me he wanted to bet me and seriously consider me for vice president, I said, John, you know, I love you. You're, you're one of my best friends ever. But there's a problem here. What's that? He said, I said, you're a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Well, that's the point. He, he yells right. at me uh, that country needs and I think wants, he said, a bipartisan ticket. They're sick of the partisanship. But, but I, I never thought it was possible. You out of, did, was Rove telling you don't even consider it? <laughs> Rove didn't talk me out of it because I said to him when he called me that John is a grown a up. And he, said, he, he thought it would be a bad idea. And he said to me, I sort of remember the words. He said, uh, if McCain chooses you. It'll it'll do in his nomination or election because uh, a lot of the Republicans will not support him because you are a Democrat and it'll ruin the Republican Party. Wow. I said, I doubt well, it. Take a little uh, bit. But look at what happened. A- I think a financial meltdown took care of that, Senator, at the time. But uh, real quickly, there was the yeah. same Carl Rove who helped you get elected senator as an independent. Right. So it was a give and take. Yeah, it was strange. I mean, he called me on primary day in 2006. I was about to lose the primary to an anti-Iraq war candidate who campaigned against me only on that basis. And and Rove called me and said, the boss, President Bush, really appreciates your support for uh, staying in until we could win something in in Iraq, win a victory, stabilize it. So if you run as an independent, we're going to help you all all we can. I was shocked. I, I thanked him. I hung up. I had no idea what they were thinking about, but they did. And, and uh, boy, that's real centrism and bipartisanship. It exactly. really speaks a lot about the good, exactly. good person, George Bush. Amen. <laughs> and you, and you, you took a gutsy move there. The Centrist Solution is the book. Uh, I highly recommend it because there is some funny and, and intriguing dirt in there. Of course, the senator is not one to hear just revelations, but it's very good stuff. <laughs> and it, it reminds you and harkens back to a time we could kind of talk to each other. Uh, there's a- the centrist logo looks so much like that out of George Orwell, doesn't it? The Uniparty. They all work together anyway. You'll see this. I'll show you just how far embedded things are. Now, to segue into that, we're going to have to start with um, James O'Keefe. Did you guys hear what happened? It's so weird. We haven't been raided for Hunter Biden's laptop, but they came for Ashley Biden's. And I'm going to tell you why I think that is so. Um, It's quite fascinating. Um, Because a lot of people don't know much about her. They don't. They don't know much about Ashley Biden. Nobody talks about her. But we should talk about her. It's important that we talk about her because she is the, how does it go? The matriarch of the Bidens. Now, what? No, it's Jill. It's definitely Jill. No, 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 no. 
It's not Jill. I'm putting my. It's definitely not Jill. So how am I going to go through that? How am I going to demonstrate that to you? Well, James O'Keefe, of course. Today they were served a subpoena, and I'm really trying to play this video, and for some reason. This is really not working out for me today. I have no idea what is going on um, with my system. Uh, like I said, I've had issues. <laughs> um, I'm going to try this again. Hopefully it'll, nope, it's not doing it. So I'm going to try something else. See if I can get that. Hold on. See, um, I want to tell you guys something. So when you get served a subpoena by the grand jury, you're not allowed to tell anyone what that subpoena is about. You're not allowed to say the content. You're not allowed to say you had it. And unfortunately, guys, I can't seem to get the video up. I sincerely apologize. I don't know if it's being restricted or what, but um, we're going to listen to the audio at least, okay? So let's go. Myself at great risk because on November 4th, Project Veritas came under attack. I woke to the news that apartments and homes of Project Veritas journalists, or former journalists, had been raided by FBI agents. It appears the Southern District of New York now has journalists in their sights for the supposed crime of doing their jobs lawfully and honestly, or at least this journalist. I had to think long and hard before making this statement. It's a decision that only I can make. They don't want me to defend myself and immediately try to silence me. That's why the cover letter to the great chain from disclosing the existence of the subpoena to any third party. While you are under no obligation to comply with our request, we are requesting you not to make any disclosure in order to preserve the confidentiality of the investigation and because the disclosure of the existence of this investigation might interfere with and impede the investigation, unquote. But while the Department of Justice requested us to not disclose the existence of the subpoena, something very unusual happened. Within an hour of one of our reporters' homes being secretly raided by the FBI, the New York Times, who we are currently suing for defamation, contacted the Project Veritas reporter to ask for comment. We do not know how the New York Times was aware of the execution of a search warrant at our reporter's home or the subject matter of the search warrant as a grand jury investigation is secret. The FBI took materials of current former Project Veritas journalists despite the fact that our legal team previously contacted the Department of Justice and voluntarily conveyed unassailable facts that demonstrate Project Veritas's lack of involvement in criminal activity and or criminal intent. Like any reporter, we regularly deal with the receipt of source information and take steps to verify its authenticity, legality, and newsworthiness. Our efforts were the stuff of responsible, ethical journalism, and we are in no doubt that Project Veritas acted properly at each and every step. However, it appears journalism itself may now be on trial. Late last year, we were approached by tipsters claiming they had a copy of Ashley Biden's diary. We had never met or heard of the tipsters. The tipsters indicated the diary had been abandoned in a room in which Ms. Biden stayed at the time and in which the tipsters stayed in temporarily after Ms. Biden departed the room. The tipsters indicated that the diary included explosive allegations against then-candidate Joe Biden. The tipsters indicated that they were negotiating with a different media outlet for the payment of monies for the diary. 
The tipsters were represented by attorneys who handled the negotiations with Project Veritas. We investigated the claims provided to us, as journalists do. We took steps to corroborate the authenticity of the diary. At the end of the day, we made the ethical decision that because, in part, we could not determine if the diary was real, if the diary, in fact, belonged to Ashley Biden, or if the contents of the diary occurred, we could not publish the diary in any part thereof. We attempted to return the diary to an attorney representing Ms. Biden, but that attorney refused to authenticate it. Project Veritas gave the diary to law enforcement to ensure it could be returned to its rightful owner. We never published it. Now, Ms. Biden's father's Department of Justice, specifically the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, appears to be investigating the situation, claiming the diary was stolen. We don't know if it was, but it begs the question, in what world is the alleged theft of a diary investigated by the president's FBI and his Department of Justice? A diary. This federal investigation smacks of politics. Project Veritas never threatened or engaged in any illegal conduct. Should the Southern District of New York try to take away our First Amendment rights and uncover and publish newsworthy stories without government intimidation, be assured Project Veritas will not back down. Nothing stops at Project Veritas. Let me be clear. Our mission is to serve the public's right to know by illuminating, revealing, exposing information others wish to hide for the wrong reasons. To quote Lord Acton, we believe everything kept in secret degenerates. We don't mislead or conceal. We investigate facts and potential newsworthy information. Sometimes, as was the case here, after we investigate, we decide not to publish a news story. But Project Veritas will run from nothing and we will hide from nothing. We exist for the very purpose of discovering and revealing the truth and hope to make the world a more transparent place. Now, this is not the first time we have been attacked and it will not be the last. We know why. We've investigated powerful people and in many ways we are the very tip of the spear. But we never break the law. In fact, one of our ethical rules is to act as if there are 12 jurors on our shoulders all the time. And that truth and the truth will vindicate us. When the FBI in the Southern District of New York sees reporters' notebooks, it is not just an attack on Project Veritas. It is an attack on every American and our sacred right to free speech and a free press. The First Amendment is first for a reason. It guarantees all the other rights that follow. Because it's all about accountability. Without accountability, freedom itself is an illusion. So the great question is, is this an indicator in the direction that America is going? We've gone far beyond the point of partisan politics in this country. They ask us to focus on our divisions. They don't ask us to focus on the things which, which unite us. What unites us is so much more powerful than what divides us. The First Amendment doesn't just matter to people on one side. It matters to people on all sides. That is why I'm calling on all Americans, and especially all journalists, to stand with us for the right to free speech and the free press, and to send a message that the politics of fear will not prevail in the United States of America. So they raided reporters, and they sent them a subpoena, which says, don't tell anyone you got the subpoena. But then on the other hand, why wouldn't, why wouldn't he? If the New York Times knew about it, then why not tell the world about it? It makes zero sense. Zero sense. 
So one has to think, why so much about Ashley Biden? Is it because they want to confirm who sold it, where they got it, and confirm things? Why? Because she is the daughter of Jill and Joe. Did you know that? And I want you to see the dynamic that she has with all the Biden grandkids too. Let me just see how I can do this. Give me a second. I think I got this. I'm sorry, guys. I'm streaming on a platform that doesn't want me to stream on it. And I need people from other countries to be able to see as well. So I want you to see this interview. I want you to pay attention and see the dynamic between the Biden girls and Ashley Biden. Ashley Biden. I want you to pay attention to it because it's very, 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 I would say, not so much the importance, but very eye-opening. How's that? And listen to what they say. Parents, and where are the names originally? So we call them Nana and Pop. I don't think any of us really knew why we called them Nana and Pop. We just always have. But we asked last night, and um, my Nana used to call her grandmother Nana. So it was great-grandmother. So it was really special to her, and she chose that. And then um, my Uncle Bo actually came up with Pop because... Um, he wanted to be confused with my dad (laughs) because they felt like they were really young grandparents. Mm -hmm. My dad had me when he was 23, Mm -hmm. so they weren't ready to be called grandma and grandpa yet. (laughs) Maisie, is it true that he calls all the time? Yeah, that's something that I feel like some people don't believe when we say that he literally (laughs) calls. Not just like one of us every few days he calls me then he calls Naomi then he calls Finn then he calls Natalie then he calls Ashley and then he calls little Hunter. and then he does like the big group text yeah and then he has a group chat after like all of us may have rejected his call like on a day where we're all busy and he texts us like just tried calling you guys missed it it's so weird because he like has like this weird thing where he can put stuff in bold letters yeah he does he's like good morning Ashley is the one in the red. I want you to pay attention to how the girls are looking to Ashley to get confirmation that everything they're saying is okay. Now, Natalie, who's the one sitting um, at the top row on the right of your screen, uh, she's the one in the texts discussed that are on Looking Glass. I want you guys to see how they respond when she starts talking and how everyone looks to Ashley for approval. But then if you call him back, or at least if I do, he's like, it's like a world war has broken out. Like, what's wrong? (laughs) When we arrived um, to the lake, me and Finn got there pretty late at night, and my pop was still up at 10 p.m. And I was like, pop, what are you doing up? And he was like, well... I wanted to wait until your sister Naomi got here because she called me earlier and I missed her call and I just want to make sure that she's okay because she got got there at 11.30 p.m. and he was like worried that there was something wrong with her when we have secret service (laughs) and we're so safe and he he just always thinks of like the first thing, yeah, like the worst thing first, which is, you know, but there's also something so beautiful about having grandparents yeah. that 
love you all that much. It is. It's really amazing. And Maisie, I, you know, people might think like, well, no, he was vice president. Like he couldn't go to games or concerts or any of that. But he sat at your basketball. He games. sat at. I think he more than my dad came to like every single one of my soccer games, lacrosse games, basketball games. Like he was at everything that he could make it to. And. It was always funny, like seeing him show up when I was like, I think I just saw you on TV about 30 <laughs> minutes ago. How did you just end up here? And he was like, Don't worry, I knew it was a big game today. So yeah. it's really nice knowing that he'll always be there when I want him to be there and he'll drop anything. The worst part is us. when you lose, the losing team would ask. Uh, I mean, when we would lose a sports game, I used to play tennis. So obviously it's very personal when you lose a match <laughs> and the girls across from me that won would always go and ask for a picture and i was like take a picture and he's he my like, grandpa <laughs> yeah, especially with like, like basketball too when i would lose a game and it would be like girls throwing elbows at me and then like they would get up and be like good game can i go take a picture with your grandfather and of course i'm not going to be like no and i know my pop's going to say yes so i have to go along with it but is it true that his colleague President Obama was your coach. It is true. Yeah, totally but, normal. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of teens that were like, "This is unfair. They're they can't have the president be their coach." But did you guys hear that? Obama was coaching Biden's little girls, his grandkids. I just wanted to point that out, and I want you to constantly look at Ashley in the red as how she's handling them. This is very very important. Not a lot of people have paid attention to it. I mean, we won at game, so maybe it wasn't unfair, but I think Reggie Love had something to do with that because him and um, President Obama would take us to the gym on like every Saturday and he would just do like really fun drills with us and kind of teach us like maybe one or two plays, but Ashley, when you were a high school field hockey player, your yeah. dad was like the most embarrassing he guy was. in the stands. Yes, I mean he would come to the games and stand right on that sideline where everybody else was in the bleachers. But dad was up, you know, you got this and run, were you running fast enough? And, but he was always there to, to show up and to give, you know, to give encouragement. Mm -hmm. I know you were close with your grandparents as well, so to watch your dad be a grandfather, be a uh. pop, he adores being a, a grandfather, adores it. He is so happy, right? You know, even with all the, the, the chaos and everything he has on his shoulders, he is just so happy that all of us are at the lake house under, you know, that gives him such joy. Naomi, I heard that, that your grandfather was a little nervous to run. He didn't necessarily <laughs> want to put all of you through another campaign and you knew that yeah. and so you called a family meeting yes talk to us about that meeting i'm laughing because i would have taken much better notes about what happened at this <laughs> meeting if i knew that this is where we'd end up and he'd run and win i think my pop is so protective and he would never ever do anything if he thought that it would hurt us and i think it was very difficult for him because we've been through a million campaigns but this was a campaign that wasn't like any other campaign and I think it was actually Little Hunter, right, mm -hmm. who showed him something on his phone, some like tabloid story about the family, but then basically said to him, like, we know about these sort of things. We know it's going to be bad, but we have each other and we know the truth and like we will be okay. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think he came out of that meeting feeling a little bit more comforted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, we're still standing. <laughs> <laughs> Why was it so important to all of y'all that he run? Well, I think we shared that um, urgency that the rest of the country was feeling that he needed to get into the race because he was the only person um, that could beat Donald Trump. And I think we knew that. And we knew um, that we could sacrifice a little um, for the greater good of the country. So, yeah. I mean, this was a campaign like no other, like you mentioned. And what was it like to, to be part of it? Well, I mean, you've done so many campaigns, so you know, but it really, we started in Iowa and ended up on Zoom. Um, So it was like a whirlwind, but it was really fun. Um, We got to go all over the country, and we were saying it was actually really fun because we got to spend so much time with our grandparents when we otherwise probably, we would be busy in school and sports, so it was a good excuse to be together as a family. We had the opportunity to... Um, be even more involved because of social media mm-hmm. and the nature of just online campaigning, which is so new and we've never done that before. So it was really weird, but it was really cool. I, I feel like we had something to show them. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you all say like, oh, by the way, this is TikTok? Or yeah. Yeah. Natalie is yeah. like, I always show him has TikTok. like a million followers on TikTok. She's <laughs> so do you our, say, Natalie, are you like pop and? Yeah. Well, he usually whenever I talk about my yeah. TikTok, he gets so scared. Like, well, we tried to explain Instagram to him right when it was coming out, and he was like, I don't understand why you would post it to 500 people. If you want to show someone a picture, just send it to them. Yeah. We were like, no, you don't get it. It's more about, like, and then the all night until like three in the morning, we were all getting pictures that he was sending to us to oh prove a gosh. point. Like, yeah, was that in Thanksgiving in Nantucket? Yeah, he like, loves you should get taking one. pictures and yeah. printing them. He, we probably have like yeah. hundred. Uh, it, it's the that's, best. That's Dad, what he we used to get so annoyed. Yeah, uh, you know, he, since little, but we have tons i am so grateful Mm -hmm. we are so grateful to have all of these pictures documenting like a hundred photo books my grandmother loved to take pictures too and she would print like the paper (laughs) so dad all right he got a a printer so he'd take we would be to have a a birthday party and he would before you go out the door he's (laughs) giving you prints right (laughs) he would love to print them and give them to all of us i got him a polaroid for christmas this year oh Oh, nice that's a good gift yeah natalie talk about your thanksgiving tradition well thanksgiving i think is all of our favorite holiday because we usually go to nantucket but Maisie and i and my grandpa and my uncle and my dad, we used to do a polar bear yeah. plunge Ooh, in Nantucket in November. And it would always be crazy yeah. because they would have to bring all of the divers and the swimmers for mm-hmm. Secret Service yeah. for my pop. And it's like me and Natalie and him yeah. holding mm-hmm. hands, like sprinting into the water with like 70 local Nantucket. And there would always be like three people at the beach because it was like a public thing that would just have like a bunch of Joe Biden hats. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> Talk to me, Naomi, what are you most excited about? I'm most excited, I think, to see what my nan and pop are going to do. I mean, they are so excited. They have so many plans, and it's just a time in their lives, in our lives, and in America where we have the opportunity to do so much and to, to do things differently. You know, I think everybody is realizing that a lot of the way old things were going wasn't working. Um, 
So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited that they'll be just, you know, a few miles away from my apartment so I can go mm -hmm. steal some free food from the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Family dinners are taking on a whole new Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then what about you? I think I'm excited to s spend time with um, our family because when my pop was vice president, it was also an opportunity for all of us to be together mm -hmm. um, and go on these family trips or it really brought us together in a way that I don't think we ever could have anticipated so now that we know um, kind of we have an idea of what's going to come in the next four years I'm really looking forward to being able to spend some quality time with my family. Has your mom heard from Melania about Trump about doing the traditional protocols? No, mm -hmm. um, I don't think what they're doing the traditional protocol, mm -hmm. um, which is unfortunate, but I think we're all okay with it. Yeah. And you guys, you know Sasha and Malia, so in some ways do you feel like you're, you've already been advised about what life is going to be like? Well, we have had, I mean, Maisie and I and um, Natalie and Naomi have had the privilege of being able to see two of our friends, you know, navigate eight years of, I mean, and what you did, and um, so navigate eight years of what was really difficult, um, and they did so, so beautifully, and they came out so grounded and humble, and um, they're so smart and driven, so I think we can only take yeah. advice from them. Yeah. You can only hope to do as well as they did. They just did it so beautifully. Mm -hmm. But they've been so nice in offering advice to us and, you know, support. So it'll be weird though when they come to the White House to hang out and yeah. like. I know, I'm so scared. <laughs> but the most beautiful part about the White House is the people that work there. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you all know from the vice president's house mm -hmm. that they are really the ones that make it feel like a home. So mm -hmm. how much fun for them to see, yeah. you know, Buddy, mm -hmm. who has been there since I yeah. was mm -hmm. in yeah. first grade. Is he still there? He's still there. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh, wow. And y'all remember Buddy too? Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> so it's going to be, I think that's the real beauty yeah. of it. So talk to me about inauguration. What is it you think it's going to be like for your family? I think um, we all just feel so grateful that we're going to be able to be together during this like super exciting and special time. Even if we were watching it on television, <laughs> if we were all together, I think it would have the same effect. I don't know what to expect, though. <laughs> it's definitely going to be better since it's virtual just for us, because we always get like so worked up getting ready. And <laughs> that yeah. is true. Yeah. We're, like, we're, so our family you. is yeah. like we like to <laughs> to go to the party, say hi to everyone, and then yeah. do a little <laughs> Irish goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> we honestly will probably go and sit around the table and like hang out. Be just us. Like we we don't like to extend the party really to many other people because we end up getting pretty yeah. awkward or uncomfortable. The night of the, um, yeah, the election, yes, we all, you know, we were on stage and then we all went home and got McDonald's. It was really fun. I mean, I think we were the ones who were trying to lighten the mood the whole time. Mm -hmm. Which kind of helps us. Cause I have my manifestation rock. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're all handling stress in yeah. different ways. <laughs> it showed all of our personalities. I slept for like a week straight. Yeah. Natalie's walking around with a random rock yeah. she found saying, touch this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like put it up to like the full moon and I had everyone in the house touch it and it worked. So I was trying to distract myself as much as I could. Me and little Hunter ended up going out on the canoe a lot and trying to fish <laughs> in a pond that 
has no more fish in it, <laughs> which we knew. But in the back of our mind, we were like, maybe one will bite. Let's stay out for another 30 minutes. We'll see. Should we go to the left side of the pond? We were just kind of trying to distract ourselves as best we could. Now, um, on Saturday morning, when the election was finally called, what was that moment like for your family? I think we were so exhausted. We were just also completely overjoyed and proud and the night before we had a dance party in the kitchen with the so whole we family were... with Nana and Pop yeah. mom and dad and the whole family and we put on songs and just dance because we thought we were you know mm -hmm. things were looking good mm -hmm. and then the next morning I think we were just all really overwhelmed with emotion and relief and we had no idea it was coming too yeah so, like we had been I think that was kind of the fun of it is like yeah. the whole week we were like okay well we think it's gonna go well like oh like it's ruined it's, we already know it's gonna happen and then when the results came out it's like your whole body I mean everyone was crying it was just like we embraced each other and um, I think we'll always remember that moment and also, minutes Watching before, else we told Natalie too. that yeah. if she jumped in oh, the yeah. lake... The lake is very dirty. It's like a puddle. Well, and no, she jumped well, in. And I jumped in. They were like, if you don't jump in, we're going to lose. So then I jumped in. And then my Uncle Hunter came out and said that we won Wisconsin. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she's very gullible. You know, this year, people have been separated from their grandparents. I know my parents didn't get to see my kids for seven months you for a period y'all didn't get to see your grandparents what was that like it was so sad I yeah. mean we haven't seen our grandparents from Chicago since mm -hmm. the pandemic started but I think like everyone else it's just heartbreaking to know that there are so many families alone and you know suffering the consequences of this pandemic but we're hopeful that in that coming year things will change and um, we'll turn a corner Mm -hmm. Because we want to see our other grandparents too. <laughs> Who is most like your pop? Probably no. Finn and Ashley. It, I mean, I would say that in the caring way. You. Liking politics and being great speakers. It would be you too. Who is most <laughs> like your Nana? Finnegan. I feel like also. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You think I'm similar to Nana? Yeah. I don't know. You guys get along so well. We get each other. Yeah. Like they really get each other. She likes but to prank. She is her own. Like, I've never met anyone like yeah. her, actually. She's her own breed of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what? She likes a prank, right? Oh, my gosh. She <laughs> loves a prank. On Halloween, she came downstairs in a fly costume and woke us up. Like, I've never been so terrified in my entire <laughs> life. Yeah. She's, like, over me, like, poking me. I was like... Who do you think will be taken on the first foreign trip? Probably yeah. Natalie. Yeah. Well, we all hope ourselves. Yeah. 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 That one's like up for debate. I'm probably going to be me. But yeah, no, I feel like um, we'll... who's going to dance while J Lo performs? Ashley, Ashley, Ashley likes yeah. to dance. I do. Ashley going to be dancing okay. the best. I will. They will. You will all be dancing with me, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who is going to share ice cream with your pop? Maisie. Maisie. Even though I'm lactose intolerant. Um. <laughs> really. <laughs> um, who's the most excited about Secret Service? Naomi didn't have her license, so I'm going to go with Naomi. Yeah. Yes, I actually did just get Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you guys have any questions for me before we wrap it up? Do you have any secrets to tell us about yeah. in the White House? Yeah. Are there it's any haunted. secret doors, secret closets yeah. Yeah, to yeah. look in? Yeah, upstairs. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some cool places to hang upstairs. There's a secret door. Oh. And it is, there are some ghosts, but they come in good faith they're in friendly. <laughs> right. oh my um, it's so much fun it's just such a privilege to live history and i'm yeah. so thrilled for you all
And if, you know what makes it even better is to be with your family. I have tons of cousins, yeah. and so we played hide and go seek in that huge house. Yeah. yeah. And I just hope you all have like, as much fun as we did. Well, we're so grateful yeah. to you yeah. for paving the so path. Yeah. And, yeah. Of course. You know. Y'all have any questions? I'm around. Well, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Full to her for paving the path. I'm a little bit confused how Bush's daughter paved any path for anybody. That was a really bizarre comment. But what I wanted you guys to see with that it was that dynamic. You know, Ashley Biden's about 40 now, right? 40, 40. Yeah, she is 40. She was born in 1981, uh, right after. Um, anyway, let's just leave it that way. So, you know, there you have Bush's daughter interviewing all the grandkids and the one daughter, right? The one daughter that's been arrested multiple times for drugs and alcohol, but, you know, ended up marrying a, a very good, you know, ENT, I guess. Uh, but he's a plastic surgeon. He, uh, his specialty, get this, is facial reconstruction. So like, you know, if you happen to, I don't know, lose your face because you fell down, face planted, it got dragged, fell off or something, he'd be the guy that can reconstruct your face to make you look good. Uh, and make you look just the way you look like before your face was dragged on the floor. So weird. Um, so as you noticed, uh, uh, Ashley was there controlling everything um, with her nods, with her focus, um, uh, like the matriarch there, and uh, reining everything in. Now, while she was a drug addict and, you know, a drunk and getting in trouble all the time and getting arrested, uh, after that, she got a nice cushy job at the Department of Justice as a social worker. And then Bo introduced her to her hubby, who, you know, can reconstruct faces. <laughs> and um, yeah, and that was it. Uh, most of the girls looked extremely depressed. And Ashley Biden, why would they run and raid and subpoena for a diary? So we know it's related to the hunters. What they want to find out is who's the one that had it. You know, obviously with lawyers, you can't see, but there might be texts, there might be emails. And then from that, they can find out everything else. It's kind of like them trying to figure out which hooker whispered in Hunter's ear and why she whispered in his ear to forget a laptop. It's like, hookers will take money. And if it's not for sex, they'll definitely do the job, especially if it's like, here's so much money and just tell the guy he's under conservatorship and he deserves more and he could just take them all down and he would be free. This is how you become free after being a slave for 30 years and simply being a cover for your dad. You know, something like that. Like that would be something that would be whispered in his ear and hence sending this text message saying, I'm so tired of this. And then suddenly the laptop supposedly broke and he took it over to the shop. <laughs> you know, that message in 2019 where he was like, this bullshit, I'm paying, you know, 30 years, I'm just doing this and paying all the bills and doing all that stuff. He wasn't paying all the bills. He was simply the puppet and he was simply under conservatorship and he was simply the guy that was holding the front. Simple as that. Close enough proximity to the big man who's also closer to the big man, to the big thing, right? 
and this is it. And all, and all it was was, hey, when you have sex with him and he taps you and he's like, yo, I'm in town, let's get it on. All you have to do is be like, yeah, you know, you can get all this done, but just, you know, fuck them. Why are they making you like this? Why are you feeling like this? Why do you have to answer to them? You should be able to do as many drugs as you want. Fuck whoever you want. Go wherever you want because you're making a ton of money. And yet they're taking it all away from you so much that, you know, I had to reduce my rate so we can have sex. Like, isn't that sad? That's like, that's like sucks. Throw them all under the bus. No one's going to blame you. You were a drug addict. You were a prisoner at their hands. Free Britney. Just saying. I mean, that's, that's how I would say it. I mean, I think they really want to find that shit out, but it's like so simple. It's right in your face. It's like people are telling you, but you're just not listening. So when we get back, (laughs) when we get back after this short break, we're going to talk a little bit about the Clintons. And then I'm going to introduce you to a very, very, I don't want to say, I want to say guarded. There we go. Guarded, protected, whatever you want to call it powerhouse of people. See, people talk about companies, people talk about people and don't say a lot. And I could tell you that year, a couple years ago when campaigns were on the fly and everything, I was really worried about this because I have been on this group of people for a very long time. Cartels, shit. They shit their pants when they utter their name. These are people that have been enthralled with the likes of Epstein, Weinstein, Obama, Bush, you name it. And they control everything, especially the number one cause of diabetes. Now, um, I think it would be a great time to re-listen to a really old song. I'm trying to find it again. Watch me not find it. I'm going to be really upset. Seriously, are you for real? This is not happening. Super not happening. There it is. What Biden did was bad. We've played this song before. Long time ago. Are you serious? No, no, no. Are you serious right now? You're you're trolling. You have to be trolling right now, right? Like because I've said over and over and over again that tortious interference with a contract is a separate cause of action. Tortious interference. Tortious interference. Tortious interference. Tortious interference. You brainlet tortious interference Tortious interference. What is that? Well, that's, uh, well, if any business actually brings up a claim against Hunter Biden's mandate, they would probably use a term called tortious interference. See, tortious interference is when, uh, you know, 
someone is wrongfully interfering with your contractual or business relationship, kind of like me. I'm supposed to be hiring people, right? So if I'm supposed to be hiring people uh, to work for me, then Biden is now putting this mandate and OSHA is pushing this down my throat. They are, in fact, this is torturous interference. My business relationships are now fucking in the toilet. So torturous interference, that's exactly what this is. I mean, could be used as such if... Yeah, should have been a lawyer, maybe. No. Now, what have we seen? And just as I said, in November, so many wins. We already know that the Russia hoax is bullshit, so the media can't come out and say shit anymore. We also know that the New York Times is joined at the hip with the agency and the FBI of the corrupt fifth. Damn, I slipped. With the fourth unelected branch of government. Uh, oh, shoot. Um, and therefore, they know everything. They know everything. I mean, how did they know to call for comments about the raid if no one knew because it's a grand jury? Hmm? Hmm. Hmm. How did they know? Oh, let me guess. Maybe, you know, they even have a lawn chair. So weird when it's supposed to be a secret subpoena that you're not allowed to talk about. So bizarre. So weird. Very weird. No, 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 no. No. But it's okay. It's okay. We're all holding the line. It's going to be fantastic. 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 Because everything is coming out. The Clintons, the Bidens. Oh, and that's not Ashley Biden's diary. That's bullshit. You publish that shit and it's such bullshit. It's rubbish. But a year later, we're raiding people because of Ashley Biden's diary. Oh, why? Because she had inappropriate showers with her daddy. Why? Because Barack Obama was fucking teaching kids how to play basketball and shows them some plays. Or did they jump in pools together with... Uh, lucky rocks and shit. Stop it. We've seen the text from Hunter even. They're on looking glass. We've put them so nicely where they flow. We don't even break a sweat so you can read it. So why is it so? I don't know. You tell me. The Clintons. Oh my gosh. The Clintons are everywhere. They're still funding your mayors too. They're funding your mayors. Your governors, your AGs, you know, everyone's like, yeah, my governor's going after Biden. Ooh, my AG's going after Biden. Fuck, you don't see it. Let me tell you, it's coming. Now, there's a balance of power between federal and state. The states retain the power over their own citizens, and the federal government is not allowed to superimpose things. Uh, obviously, crimes and on and on and on and on and on. Now, when you're imposing fines, that could be constituted like a crime. Now, if the states, think about it, if the states actually sue the federal government for this and win, I mean, for those of you that have governors that defend the Constitution, that's okay. But how many of you actually trust your governors with all that power? 
Because if you listen to what they say, they're saying, hey, you can't tell my state agencies to get a vaccine. You can't tell my state agencies to do this. My state agencies this. My state employees that. What about the citizens? What about the private businesses doing business within your state that is violating the constitutional rights of the people? So think, let's say they win and the states have full power. Do you in Michigan feel safe with Gretchen as your governor? Let me guess. Would you feel safe with Cuomo? Well, he's gone. They took him out. He wasn't playing ball. So as your governor, what about Gavin Newsom? See, that's the question you should all be asking yourselves. If they're fighting for it, they should be fighting for the citizens, not for their state. The citizens, not for the state. People aren't paying attention because they're so charged right now with so much fear as to what is to come. Oh boy. And it's not pretty. And I did say it. I did say it. And unfortunately, nothing can stop what's coming. But those of you that can see can avoid the turmoil that's about to happen. Now, listen to how the Russia probe, huh? So many years later, crushed. Congressman Jim Jordan of the great state of Ohio. And so here are the two different ways. There's the way that it costs us zero, not factual. The way that it's really right. $1.75 trillion, not factual. And then you've got, well, you know what? The Wharton Business School looked at it, and here's some facts. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm thankful for the Wharton Business School giving us that number because, but frankly, the American people knew it didn't cost 1.7. They knew it didn't cost zero, as Joe Biden said. They knew it didn't cost 1.75 trillion. They knew it cost more, four billions in, or four trillions in number. So, uh, look, it's ridiculous. Let's hope it doesn't pass. Here's what I know, Harris. Four separate times now, the Speaker of the House has said that on this date we're going to pass this legislation, mm. and four times it hasn't happened. She's over for four. Twice she summoned the President of the United States to Capitol Hill to close the deal. He's 0 for 2. So they're 0 for 6. I hope this week makes it 0 for 7 because this legislation, as Leader McCarthy was pointing out, is not good for the country. It's only going to exacerbate all the other problems the Biden administration has created in just 10 months. So the president a short time ago, knowing that Colin Powell's funeral was coming up on his schedule, we all have a schedule, uh, said that he was going back to his office and was going to try to, to work on some of this. What is bigger than his legislative agenda to him right now? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know, but uh, all I know is everything he involves himself in turns out to be bad. The border is chaos. Crime is up in every major urban area in our country. Prices are going through the roof. Inflation everywhere. Price of energy. We went from energy independence to the spectacle of the president of the United States begging OPEC to increase production. So, mm. And of course, yesterday he couldn't remember. He didn't know that, that his Justice Department was giving people $450,000 who came into our country and broke the law and came into, our, uh, into, our, into America. So uh, I guess maybe he didn't know where he was going today, whether he was going back to his office to make calls or we're going to General Powell's, uh, Look, General Powell's ceremony. Maybe he's picked up the extra added skill on a Friday of multitasking. We shall see. But the point that you just made is, I don't know how much more difference he can make on the phone. And there is nothing bigger than his agenda to him, apparently, uh, right. because he's tried so many times and it has failed. I want to get to this. A big development in the special counsel John Durham's investigation now, and of course still looking into the origins of the Trump-Russia probe. Federal agents have arrested a Russian yeah. national 
who was a key source for a former British spy, Christopher Steele's widely discredited dossier. Break it down for us, Congressman. Well, I think it's important to understand this indictment and the one that happened uh, a few weeks back with Mr. Zussman. Both of these are not about these individuals lying to John Durham and his investigative team. They're about the original lies they told back in 2016 and 2017 to the FBI that started this charade that was the Trump-Russia investigation. So Durham is going to the source when it all began. And both of these individuals, Zussman and Danchenko, have ties to the Clinton campaign. So I think it's interesting you know, it was all it was President Trump who was working with Russia. That was baloney. But in fact, it was the Clinton campaign who was cozying up to Russia and people who had influence with Russia. That, to me, is the irony of all this. So I'm actually encouraged that we're actually going to hold people accountable who did wrong and put our country through this three-year ordeal that was based on garbage dossier and the garbage information that Zussman took directly to the FBI. Well, and further eroded the public trust in government overall. Yeah. I mean, if you want to know sure if people did. want to know the truth about what happened. People always want to know the truth about what happened when it doesn't jive with what they're being told. Yeah. No, the, the, I mean, the idea that government gets weaponized to come after people with different political views, like when the IRS a few years ah. back went after conservatives, you like mean what parents. the Justice Department, when they went after, yeah. And, and then, of course, what, what uh, Merrick Garland did just a month ago, October 4th, with his memorandum to say, we're going to set up an apparatus to spy on parents and go after parents at local school board meetings who are simply going there to say, we don't want racist, hate America curricula taught to our kids. Um, that's what concerns Americans. And again, that's why they spoke out so loudly on, on Tuesday evening in, uh, in Virginia. Wow. Congressman Jim Jordan, always great to have you. In what sucks is that the Republicans, some that are good, are using what the parents and the people are doing to their benefit as if they have support. They really don't. But I want to show you a video that is difficult to find. <laughs> doing it again. Gosh darn it. I think, I think Give me a second. Let me see I'm going to do this. Because privilege struggle uh, is deadly to a bill. Give me a second, I'm back. Let's see if this works. Having issues. There we go. Ready? See it. Damn, this is so good. All right, here we go. Make, uh, some, we're getting our, we're sending stuff over to the Senate. Well, it's, most of the product that we've done is, except now we, we may have added in the last day or so, and some <laughs> what? of what we added is Senate to the bill, like a hearing. Bernie doesn't like hearing. Excuse me. Bernie loves hearing. <laughs> Manchin is, doesn't want hearing in the bill and all that stuff. Um, so some is Senate-oriented, and then we had the family medical leave. We figured if they're putting things in, then we can put something in. What if the hell? Would, Mansion doesn't like it. So, um, uh, so we are getting some third and privilege. I think, I think mostly we're getting privilege scrub because privilege struggles to list to a bill. Bird about, you know, it's important is you have to take it out, but privilege violation can take you out. So, so we're again getting that as we go along as well. But when we pass a bill, then they will <laughs> see it in its aggregate and make uh, some. Any concerns that any of this is quote, messaging because that they have to oh my take God, some I'm of horrified. those things out regardless, no matter what you send over. You said you weren't going to send a messaging bill. No, no, we're going to send a messaging bill, but we uh, want to be sure that what we send is not birdable or bird bath or 
privilege scrub. What? what? <laughs> exercises <laughs> engaged, bathing exercises were engaged in. And um, uh, we're getting good responses. There's no bad answer. You know, it is what it is. There's a certain object. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys understood anything of what she said. Malfunctions. Really big deal. Malfunctions. But, you know, a lot of people say that sugar is like the leading cause of obesity. That sugar is really bad for you. That sugar is super bad for you. And everything has sugar. And... It's important that we understand that those people that have sugar, sugar, that do sugar, um, are immune to any, um, to any, say it, bad press. There we go. They're immune to bad press. So let me show you some good press. Their digital transformation of American crystal sugar. Um, this was actually um, showcased. By Microsoft. Microsoft loves sugar. Even though they promote healthy eating, strong bones, and a lot of vaccines, people have transformed themselves digitally. How do you digitally transform American crystal sugar? Well, let's see. Bill Gates is telling you about it. Here we go. American crystal sugar is the oldest sugar beet company in the country. It started in 1899. And then in 1973, our growers decided to buy the company and became the first grower-owned cooperative that was a sugar beet cooperative. Sugar beet farming is important to the Red River Valley because it really produces about 20,000 jobs that are connected to sugar beet farming. And the economic impact is about a billion dollars a year. We produce a ton of sugar beets. We haul it to the receiving station that's piled and it's put in these large uh, piles and, and stays there for three, four months, five months in the storage and the processing of the crop. That's where the co-op spirit truly takes over. With any farming, temperatures, climate are crucial. So we store 10 million tons of sugar beets. And in order to do that, we have to have very cold temperatures because the sugar beets, if it's not kept in the right temperature, it will waste and we are so happy to have partnered with Microsoft to help us with this transformation in technology. The TechSpark program is really focused in on rural America. We know that if we can help support America's heartland, that everybody prospers. Initially, when we started having conversations with American Crystal Sugar, we knew that this was going to be a really great fit. So the problem that they faced when we started talking was around temperature sensing. Crop loss due to weather. In ideal storage situations, we're losing a million dollars a day due to just respiration alone. If there's additional issues within the piles as they're stored, that number can potentially grow exponentially. With our technology, we thought, hey, there's a way that we can actually do some analytics. Using our Power BI system, tweaking it a little bit in order to work with American Crystal Sugar is all that needed to happen. Prior to the digital transformation, we had to do a lot of ground truthing. So we'd actually climb these piles by foot just to make sure that we didn't smell or see any significant issues. 
with the additional technology we were able to use infrared cameras and also temperature probes to monitor the health of the piles. With Power BI, we're able to, to get this data faster. There's fewer interruptions and we're able to respond quicker. The cost savings and efficiencies back to the farmers is in our time and our effort expended in monitoring the piles. If we can do that faster, better, and with less travel, being able to work remotely all affects the growers' bottom line. We know the technology is working so far because everyone's been asking for it. Sugar beets are a high value crop. They provide a lot of financial stability to the farms that grow them. In turn, we turn that around and we, we buy a vehicle or we buy a tractor to support the local grocery stores. The money that, that the sugar beets put back into the Red River Valley is astonishing. We're always telling people thank a farmer because the food that's on your table comes from someone and it's those family farms, the moms, the dads, and the kids who are all working hard to supply the food for the United States. How heartfelt. So the Red River Valley is like Minnesota, North Dakota parts. Um, I thought you should hear a crystal sugar worker speaking out about 10 years ago in Minnesota. I think it would be quite eye-opening for you to um, hear their story and um, see what they have to say, because uh, it's quite fascinating how things are so different uh, without the Becky family there. Um, let's check that out. Here we go. All right, here we go. My name is Dad Dumas. I've been an employee for 33 years with American Crystal Sugar in the Hillsborough factory. I've served in every aspect of the operation from maintenance to process, currently employed as a sugar boiler. I'm here today to speak on one thing for us, healthcare. I've been an employee from 81 to 83 is the last cost of living raise that we had to maintain the healthcare that we have today. The company wants to take and change it. In, in doing so, they're not telling what we call the whole truth in the program, and I want to get to that. While I was heading on Sunday to have breakfast with some friends, a man approached me that I know as an acquaintance, but I don't really know him. He looked at me and he goes, what the hell is wrong with you guys? Not really knowing him, I listened, he goes, what the hell is wrong with you? I said, I don't understand. Why wouldn't you take what they're giving you? I knew him by name, Harold. I said, Harold, can I ask you something? Have you ever leased a vehicle in your lifetime? He goes, oh yeah? I said, if you lease that vehicle for $250 and you could drive it 6,000 miles a year, you knew what you had, right? Well, yeah. I said, what would you do if they said, we can raise that monthly payment and lower the mileage at any time? Would you lease that vehicle? He goes, well, that would be bull crap. He goes, is that what they're doing to you? I said, yes, they're not telling the whole truth. Not only this 87% and the 13 they want to do is taking us from a $450 copay for family $8 prescription pay, they want to go to 4800 kick in in an HSA. They're not telling the whole truth. Tell it that a month later they can make us pay 600 a month and raise our deductible. It's bull crap. This is really personal to me. And I had a really hard time getting through this, so I left it more towards the end. This is my daughter, Kayla. I don't want to go into that, but I just wanted to say these are all Democrats that support Democrats, except not that Democrat. Now I'm going to introduce you to two brothers. 
They're really smart. See, one brother funds the Democrats. The other be that. Here's where it gets really, really interesting. So a couple of years ago, when I was looking into West Palm Beach, I was I was going through a peta, a couple of petabytes worth of data that accidentally fell on my lap, of course. And it was all pertaining to Epstein and Lois Frankel and the airport at West Palm Beach, PBI. And when she was mayor, how she made these concessions um, for Jeffrey Epstein via uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, right? In regards to how the airport for the private planes are and how, you know, they're going to situate it. And suddenly in that meeting with Ghislaine Maxwell were, were what? These two guys represented by, well, only one brother showed up. And the one brother showed up, the Fonjul brothers. Who are the Fonjul brothers? Well, one of them, like I said, gives a shit ton of money to the Democrats. I hear he's friends with Ali Akbar and Roger Stone. But, um, and the other one gives a shit ton of money to Democrats. I've talked about it long time. Allow me to introduce your, introduce the world to the Fonjuls. Francisco Pepe Fangel is the second eldest of the Fangel brothers, who control a sugar and real estate business valued at US $8.2 billion. He is the second son of Alfonso Fangel Sr. and his wife Lillian Rosa Gomez Mina. He received a bachelor's degree from Villanova University and an MBA from New York University. Fangel is the vice chairman and president of Flow Sun, a Fangel family-owned sugar-growing and refining company, and of Florida Crystals. Fangel is a long-standing supporter of Republican politicians, one of the largest contributors to George W. Bush, a leading patron of Marco Rubio, and has co-hosted a large fundraiser for Donald Trump. His brother Alfonso Fangel Jr. has been a leading Democrat supporter since at least 1992 and was co-chair of Bill Clinton's Florida campaign. He is married to Amelia May Fangel and they live in Palm Beach, Florida. They also own an apartment at 965th Avenue, New York City. In 2002, the New York Times reported that Fangel had considered leaving his wife for socialite Nina Griscom, with whom he had a celebrated affair, but had changed his mind. In 2002, their daughter Emilia Helena Fangel married Brian C. Thank you for watching. Like and subscribe if you would like to view more of our videos. While the audio was telling you, they fund, duh, 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 you know, they were showing you that the guy's funding Republicans, you're seeing pictures with John Kerry, Epstein, you know, and other known people. And then they shifted over to the Democrat who is funding Republicans. What I'm trying to say is these people have all the sugar. Here's the fun part. So you know how close they are with the with the Clintons. So you remember back in the days in Haiti where Hillary Clinton like owned half, like owned most of the power in Haiti, and then this woman Silsby like ran away with kids, going to the Dominican Republic. Well, let me tell you something: flanking the 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 actual airport, right? of the Dominican is a massive resort. It's a hotel resort. Guess who owns it? That's right. It's the Fun Jewel Brothers. And guess what else they have? Haitian slaves. What? They have Haitian sugarcane cutters work as indentured servants in the Dominican Republic. Haitian workers fleeing destitution. You mean 
getting kidnapped, harvest over 6,000 pounds of sugarcane a day for poverty wages in the Dominican Republic. A group of Haitian sugar cutters sit under the shade of a tree outside a worker's barrack, you mean the slave camp, in Batley Experimental, Betty, or Sugar Workers Town, in San Pedro de Macorís, a province located in the eastern part of the Dominican Republic. I can keep going and going. You guys can do your homework on that one. <laughs> Let me tell you about the Fawn Jewels. So not only are they nabbing slave workers from Haiti and taking them over to do the sugar in the Dominican, they have an exclusive resort you know, when some politicians disappear, that's where they go. And so there's this like resort where people hang out, you know, right next to the airport, the same airport that was being discussed in that meeting, which is Lane Maxwell, when they were reconstructing PBI back in the early 2000s. It's so weird. And you know, what's even weirder that these people are congratulated as Model citizens of West Palm Beach. And here's the thing. <laughs> Would you ever take money from someone who you knew their brother was funding the other side? No. You would have to know that that money is coming from that someone. Packing House with an honor, honoring the family as uh, EAA Florida Palm Bureau Family of the Year. It's an honor for my family. This year's recipient is certainly deserving of the honor. The family that we're honoring tonight came to Florida in 1959 after Fidel Castro took over power in Cuba. And they've never forgotten their roots. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to see as part of you know, as a fifth-generation Floridian who loves agriculture, to see the agriculture down here continue to be flourishing with, uh, with such good corporate citizens like the Van Hools. The family focuses much of their philanthropic giving on the Glades areas. The Van Hool family is one of the premier Florida farming families. Uh, you know, they have a wonderful story. They, they came over here. They started over. They grow millions and millions of pounds of food that service or help people all across our country, and they deserve recognition. Well, they're an integral part of this community. They're a large family themselves, and they recognize that this is a larger agricultural family. And that's why you see the commitment that they make to support the local Farm Bureau, the education system, the housing situation. The Pondhole's presence here in the Glades is a blessing to us all. They have devoted their lives to excellence and showing us also how we too can acquire excellence through all of the work that they do in this community. Everywhere you go out in the Glades communities and throughout Palm Beach County you see the Fan Hool name from you know schools for children that need a second chance to food banks to all sorts of education and charitable programs they're everywhere. So it's with great pleasure that I present the Western Palm Beach County EAA 2016 Farm Family of the Year Award to the Fon Hool family. If you guys would come up, Alex, Kathy, and Andre. I'm really humbled. It's an incredible opportunity when I read the 
who all the families that have uh, won this award in the past. Uh, it's an honor to be included as part of that group. I mean, we're farm and farm family and have contributed here to the Everglades agricultural area for a lot of years. It's an honor to have get the uh, receive the award. Sound like great guys, right? They make a shit ton of money. And, you know, they do. It's not just Florida crystals, guys. They have Domino Sugar, Red Pass Sugar, Tate & Lyle, America Sugar Refining, La Romana International Airport in the Dominican Republic is theirs. And all the resorts surrounding the Dominican Republic where they got caught funneling children. But, you know, I digress. Oh, my gosh, do I digress. But they give so much back. It's called a tax write-off. Marco Rubio, sugar. His ass is funded by only sugar. Alfonso Fanjul was the co-chairman of Bill Clinton's Florida campaign. And they have two passports. Obviously, apparently, they ran away from the Castros, but they have passports from Spain and the United States. European, right? Europe, Spain. And the United States, Spain, and you know, like Madrid, like Barcelona, like shit, the epicenter of these smart cities. And they own all your sugar, all of it, every single last drop. And, you know, they're being exalted to look at their names. They're everywhere. They fund schools and give to charities locally. Well, what about the Haitian people? What about the children? What about the flights with Epstein? Because we've got pictures with them hanging with Epstein and having dinner and rubbing elbows. And that meeting with Lois Frankel talking about those airports. See, this is just the tip. These are the people that you don't know about. These are the people nobody talks about. You know, you think sugar. It's not just Florida crystals. It's everything. It's everything. They claim Cuba. Mm -hmm. There was a 2007 <coughs> film called The Sugar Babies. It was a documentary about Haitians and, and how Haitian children work in the Dominican Republic in sugarcane fields and um, the uh, cent Central La Romana uh, factory that's run by the Fanjules. It's a pretty, pretty incredible documentary. Very watered down, of course. You can't, can't mess with the people that own the sugar. <laughs> sugar is what keeps everyone stupid. It's just so incredible. And, you know, there was, um, the Fonjul brothers have been showcased um, in fiction many times. Uh, there was a book called um, Striptease. And this you can actually find on Wikipedia that actually took their story and re-implemented it calling them Cuban brothers who own a large sugar conglomerate that receive enormous profits from the exploitation of immigrant labor and the subsidies regularly voted to them by the United States Congress. They own everybody. Sugar runs the world. It's addictive. <laughs> Everything is sugar. Sugar gets you sick. Sugar makes everything taste good. Sugar, 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 sugar. And they fund everyone. They even fund our 
own people. Do they know? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but one thing's for sure. We now know, right? I've been talking about this for a long time. These are the people that nobody wants to talk to. Ask me how they gave us concessions at their airport at the Dominican Republic. How many times? They own the airport and the surrounding resorts. Laura Silsby was arrested, who worked with Clinton, that happened to, oh, I was just saving these children in taking them across the border because they needed saving and hiding them at the Fond Jewel Resort. Oh, we're not, we don't have slaves. It's just that they all sleep in barracks and we buy them from their parents when they're like 12 and they work until they die at our sugar farms. They get fed. They have a bed. They're happy. Because they could go back to Haiti and have nothing. But at least here we feed them, we clothe them, and they can eat and sleep without someone terrorizing them. Unless they don't work. You have to work. It's kind of like uh, the kibbutz. You don't have to pay for rent. You eat for free. You can have beers and cigarettes for free on your time off. But when it's daytime, you better be picking those oranges, picking those apples. And in this sense, you better be picking those sugar beets. So money. Money is how you make the world go round. Well, that's what they say. It's not. It's love. It's empathy. It's faith. You want child traffickers? You want the kitty diddlers? Well, then you got to look at who funds them. Sugar daddies, sugar brothers, whatever you want to call it. See, nobody talks about them ever. There's absolutely hardly anything out there about them. No one talks about them. I've been taught I used to tweet the shit out of them too. Well, kind of. Like, hey, maybe we should be taking a look at the airport at the Dominican Republic and the surrounding resorts so we could see what's going on. Maybe, 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 maybe. See, they keep you asleep with the usual suspects, the people that are in the public eye. And they're like, yeah. But then you you watch that video awarding them shit. And you're like, are you guys freaking asleep? Have you not seen the pictures with Epstein? That they own everything that they make, their workers suffer, that they have, you know, forced labor. Oh, no, they're not forced. I mean, it's voluntary. You know, they could go back to Haiti and not have anything. And we'll make sure nobody hires them so they'll die. There are people in Florida that will not utter their name because they're terrified that they will be taken out. You want to see cartel? This is the elite cartel. This is like, you know, there's hookers on 42nd Street that turn tricks for $25, right? And then there's those nice call girls that that that, that have sex because they freaking love it and they're good at it and they charge $1,500, right? Same thing. You've got the low life, you know, crips and bloods, and then you got your MS-13. Then you have your fond jewels, which are even bigger than them. They're the elite. They're the cream of the, the, the crop when it comes to cartels, organized crime. You know, the money laundering at HSBC, drug money, right? Do you know the majority of those accounts that were funding cartels and drug drug movement and human trafficking. Yeah, they were coming from the sugar 
companies. See, it's very important that people understand who their enemies are because you can't fight them if you do not recognize them. Now you'll say you've mentioned them before, but you haven't talked about them. Why? Because you needed to see that you're beating a dead horse with all the people that are in the public. Those aren't your real, yeah, they're your enemies. Those aren't the people you need to fear. They're not the people you need to fear. People you need to fear are like me that don't exist, that are sitting in the shadows, right? That are ready to come for you. And these are people that are covered. Find me an article that talks negatively about them. You can't even find a video that talks shit about them. And they actually have slaves. Those are the people you need to fear. Not Soros. You need to fear the person that's on top of him. Now Pelosi, she can't even string a sentence. You know their faces. You know their MO. You know how they operate. You know how they are. Therefore, they are not a threat because you know exactly where they live, exactly what they look like, exactly where they are, and exactly where they will be tomorrow. But it's people like that that you've never heard of that own your ass. They own the sugar that's in your drinks, in your food, in your creams, in your scrubs, in your, you name it, in your coffee. They own it. And therefore, they are more powerful than anyone. Oh, but it's tech. Well, yeah, but you still need to eat. And they can't make little Debbie cupcakes. They can't make pizza dough. They can't feed this. They can't do that. They can't create food because they won't have sugar. Think of everything you have that has sugar in it. It comes from them. They own everything. And then you have to think, all right, so food, right? Basic basic tool that they use is sugar. So that's one. That's how they cheapen things, sweeten things, cut things, blah, right? Then you have water. So now you have to see why is Nestle buying up all the spring water and who's behind Nestle? What if you saw that the sugar guys were in bed with the water guys? What would you say then? You'd be terrified and you should be. These are your enemies. The people nobody talks about. The people don't, that don't want you to look. And you know what? That's because they funded everybody. They funded the left the right, the middle, the upside down, the orange, the polka dot, the stripe, the unicorns, you name it, they funded it. And nobody wants to be accountable for that. How are they going to say, I didn't know? How are they going to say, I didn't know? Maybe they said, I knew, but it's dangerous people to fucking backstab and say no to, which is true. Very true. Could you imagine running for office or having office or residing in Florida and talking shit about the Fonjules, you'll be broken in half. They will crush you. Why? No one will even know. That's how mobsters work. That's how these gangs and cartels work. It's really important that people pay attention to the details. Really important they pay attention to the money. I've always said, if you follow the money, you'll find everything. And see, that money is easy. It's in the Maxwell case. It's in the Epstein case. You can see it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Look at all the people in Florida that are really, really rich, right? And strong politicians, but they don't have a reason to be that rich or that popular. And suddenly you find pictures of them with the brothers, either one of them. See, they control Congress. I mean, you would even go to say, and I would totally say, that they pretty much dominate the sugar industry on this side of, I mean, if you want to call it a hemisphere, okay? Western hemisphere, it's all them. 
So think, that's a pretty big deal. While we're focused on antitrust with, with tech, what about your food? Fuck the tech. You could turn that shit off. What about your food? See, that is how they do it. That is how they control. Remember, you're the consumer, but you're also being consumed. And this is how they do it. Even the animals that are on farms have sugar in their food. Your pets have sugar in their food. The kibble, your bread, everything you purchase has sugar. It's, 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 it's scary, but it's true. So these are the enemies that nobody talks about. These are, it's kind of like when, <clears throat> when I talked about Carlisle groups a long time, everybody's talking about it now. It's like, stop. There's bigger companies than that. On top of that, these are just the fronts that they can burn if they get caught. Nobody cares. At this point, they're at a point that they give zero fucks if you know who they are. I'm telling you that straight out. They give absolute zero fucks because you're in such a box and you can't see it. And the only way to get out of the box is to denounce that box and say, fuck your box, take it with you. And that's what we've been doing. In retrospect, look, from last year, this year to today, you've done a lot. Everything that has happened is because of you. Every single thing is because of you. Now we need to sit on that. So funny that everyone's like all about Guy Fox today and oh my God, and remember the 5th of November. Well, I can say, I can sort of safely say that in 2016 on November 5th, I was traveling. I was traveling um, <coughs> out of the state that I was residing in. And this is all I'm going to say. And I had um, one thing in mind. That I would try my best to make sure that in 2016, we had fair, well, as fair as we could, elections. And while... You sit and ponder that. It was at that time in 2016 when I was traveling that I stopped off at certain post offices because I was driving so no one could see where I was, dropping off documentation that could not be traced to me because I had printed it and then reprinted it and then photocopied it and then and then like the ink was off. They would never be able to find it. Documents demonstrating how Brennan had coordinated the whole dossier thing. And most of that stuff I collected on October 31st, 2016, when I was in Washington, D.C. And they were already discussing the Mother Jones article, and McCain was bragging about it. And they didn't even recognize me, one, because I had gained weight, two, I was in some great disguise, man. I could do that shit, round and everything. I make a good dude, tell you that. I make a hot dude, okay? I make a really hot dude, okay? I make a hot dude, just putting it out there. So 
obviously I'm going to wait till tomorrow, but I can tell you that I was at that point that I saw that so much, you know, I'm pretty sure that if Van Gogh saw a painting that someone may have copied, right, or improvised with, that Van Gogh would be able to recognize their strokes, right? Oh, that's my brush stroke. Someone's imitating me. Oh, I used to do circles like that. That's mine. Because everything that happened in 2016 was identical to something that had happened a decade or so earlier. I was only read into the part of we need to figure out how to put this person in a box. And then suddenly I was like, well, we'll talk. I can say that. <laughs> I can't say what. But it was like, let's pretend. Um, hey, we want to put this person in a box and get them removed from office. Okay, we've got the State Department with the Voice of America already running running the narrative for a couple weeks now, and they're going to thump it up. Dictator, 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 dictator. Because you know you can't do direct propaganda. You got to push the information overseas, and then from overseas the information comes here. Like for example, nobody could talk shit about Tucker Carlson today. So instead, what happens is is the Independent of the UK writes an article talking shit about how Tucker Carlson took opioids and shit and had back surgery. And then someone in the U.S. sees that article and says the Independent in the United Kingdom reported about that shit. Now we're reporting about it. You see how that works? You don't do direct propaganda. You just plant that shit outside of your country and then people here pick it up. So it's like, it's not our fault. They, they published it, not us. Same concept with Voice of America. So they thumped it up and did that. Great job because they really helped me with my plan. Dictator, dictator. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to pull out this dossier. What we need is we need two agency assets to attack. This person, that person, they need to attach themselves. We need to honeypot them with this information, honeypot them with that. We're going to have people identify that they were there. We're going to have pictures and video, and then we're going to say, this is true. doesn't matter if it can be corroborated. And then we can blackmail them that we will take it to their government and make it public and embarrass them if they don't step down. And once they step down and they get charged for crimes, because there's got to be crimes in this dossier, while they're in jail, we will make sure that they break and they give us what we want. Sounds great. Yep, sounds great. And then if not, we'll escalate. What does escalate mean? That's none of your business. You're just the person to bring them into the box. And it was escalated. That was my painting. That was my story long time ago. So when I saw the orchestration from the Papadopoulos, right? Because you're using an asset from your five eyes intelligence. So it's so many times removed. I was like, holy shit. I wrote that script. I wrote that fucking script. And there's no way, no way that they could have gotten that done without Brent. He was a lynchman. I mean, of course he did it. Of course he did. Can't believe people are questioning it. Of course he did it. The fuck? You think Clapper was that smart? He's a fucking tool. Clapper was kind of smart, but he was so dumb. John Brennan is dumb too, but he's evil. And he has really smart people working for him, and he knows how to manipulate people, I'll tell you that. 
So I knew the script and it was so weird. It's like, who picked the pee pee shit? Come on. The guy who literally went to Mother Jones with the dossier was actually caught in a brothel with fucking hookers pissing on a bed. Seriously. The Theraband guy. And I was like, this has got to be a joke. Someone must be fucking with them. And they're friendly. They have to be. There's got to be a friendly in there that took my fucking script, flipped it up, and put shit. Because when I heard that he was going to Mother Jones, I was like, stop it. They're talking about hookers being on a bed. Like, hold on. The guy that actually got caught in a brothel in Nevada with hookers pissing on a bed is going to deliver a dossier claiming that Trump had hookers pissing on a bed? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, you can't even make that up. Like, no matter how hard you try, you can't make it up. And I was at that point certain that there was someone somewhere deeply embedded in this. That's a friendly. And I was like, yo, props to you. Props. Like, you know, the tool. Harry Reid. Oh, which is so funny. Because when I was talking about Harry Reid, nobody ever talked about Harry Reid. Suddenly, Harry Reid is exposed as the guy that took it to the dossier. But the reason I was talking about Harry Reid is because I wanted to reinforce the fact that this guy literally was caught in a brothel in Nevada with hookers pissing on a bed. It's the same tool who was playing with TheraBand. You know what those are, those stretchy band things, exercise band? He hit himself in the face. Get this, right? And he tried to sue the company for hitting himself in the face. The fuck? Like, who does that? Oh, my name is Harry Reid. And ha, dossier king. I will sue you. No, you're not. That is so dumb. It's like, just because you're stupid and can't work a band, you're not going to sue a company for it. Like, stop. But just so you understand, on October 31st, that is when I realized that there had to be other friendlies in the rank and file somewhere that are just sitting there across our nation, across our agencies. I'm telling you that now. It is at that point that I was like, all right, then fuck it. They're watching. So I know good people are watching. So here I go. And then I tried my best. I think it did pretty good to make sure that there was some sort of evidence that there was some funny business. And I can't talk about that yet. So I was emboldened by that. I mean, when I saw that he was the one delivering the dossier, I was like, nope, nope, there is no, how many, it is impossible. It is absolutely statistically impossible that the guy who is going to take the dossier about Trump to Mother Jones and leak it, right, is Harry Reid, and in that, it talks about hookers that pissed on a bed. When he was caught at a brothel with hookers pissing on a bed. There's no fucking way. I was like, the statistical possibility of that is absolutely fucking zero. That means it was completely inserted in there by someone. There is no other fucking way. Someone had to plant that shit. And I'm thinking, did Harry Reid not think, well, that sounds oddly familiar. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be doing this. I'm just like, what? You know, like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, this has happened to me before. I don't think I want, you know, to deliver something that has my dirty laundry on it, but it just says the name Trump on it. Um, so anyway, I realized that there had to be someone in there that had a fucking wicked-ass sense of humor like me that would have done it because I'm that type of person. When I want to fuck you, I will also taunt you at it. And this 
This is something, especially to evil people like John Brennan, especially to evil people like Barack Hussein Obama, especially to people like Hillary Rodham Clinton, especially to people across this nation that have completely savaged our nation, that have maimed us, raped us, fiscally raped us, mind fucked us, made every single person in our nation retarded, right? And did it with a smile on their face while they laughed at us behind their Colgate smile teeth. Fuck it. And that was at that point. It was at that point that I was like, you know what? I could do this. Fuck it. If there's good people, there's got to be, you know, maybe, maybe there isn't. Maybe there is no good someone embedded somewhere, right? I like to have faith that there is, right? Maybe, but maybe there isn't though. Maybe there is no good person, right, in there, right? But at that point is when I decided, you know what? Fuck it. I got eight days. Let's go. I got to plan something. Let's go. How am I going to plan this shit? Damn. Let's go. And that is how it worked. Now, there might be no one there. And I was, uh, you know, just shocked that (laughs) that it was like pigs flew that day in frozen skies with fairy dust to have Harry Reid carry a dossier with hookers pissing in it, right? In the content. Like for me, that was like, whoa, right? So I was like, okay, there's got to be good people, which there may not be. But that actually was the tipping point for me to make that decision and say, fuck it. Yep. I'm all in. I'm putting in my chips. I could tell you that from 2016, I think I have pictures of me on election day where I had made pinwheels and shit and I had Trump things everywhere. Um, the night before everybody prayed, I, I think I may have pictures. I mean, I have pictures to show that I was somewhere, right? It, well, again, I was really excited because I was thinking, whoa, this is going to be the first time there might actually be elections if everything goes to plan. And it kind of did because not only did we have semi-free elections, right? Semi, and I'll explain that when I can. But um, we also caught them in Georgia. So uh, it it was a win-win. Now, what people do with that information, that's different. I'm still hoping that there are people in there that are good, that were like, damn, somebody had the balls to do that shit. Maybe I should help the good people because there's a lot of big balls out there doing good, right? That's what we see, right? When you're in a position in any job, right? If you see one employee cut some slick shit, you know, to fix something that's really evil and wrong, you'll be like, yo, I want to be on that team, but I could be incognito just like them. Nobody knows who did it. I could just collect information and quietly and smile and be like, yeah, whatever, but then help the good guys out in some way. See, this is why I think that the majority of the people in the actual CIA loathe the fourth unelected branch of government. Loathe. Completely loathe. So, you know, for, for me today, remembering the 5th of November for me, five years later, um, you know, it was a day of... So much happenstance. Like, you know when you have this idea and you're like, say for us ladies, right, that aren't so 
you know, super strong. Like what's that girl's name with the video? Darcy, right? She's like, yeah, I want a strong man. You know, I'm like, I want to be like Darcy putting out videos like that. Like wants a man who can screw things in. You remember that TikTok that I shared? I freaking love her. Anyway, you, you have a plan and you're like, yo, I got this tree stump and I want to chop the wood. But you know that the ax, just lifting the ax is heavy, right? And you're like, fuck it. I'm just going to go down there and I'm going to cut that tree stump. Come heaven or hell, it's going to happen. And when you end up going there, you know, there's like 10 hot lumberjacks having a break. And you're like, yo, definitely cutting this tree stump now. Hey, boys, would you take my ax, which is heavy, and maybe do it? I'll pay you in, you know candy or food, or I'll bring some beers afterwards. If you guys can cut this tree up, I'll totally bring you some beers. And you're just like, whoa, there were lumberjacks right where I needed them at the moment that I needed them. I, I, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I was going to do something. Right. And I was like, yep, definitely going to do this. Right. This is, this is, this is exactly my situation. I had a small window of time to where I said I was, to where I was and getting back there before people I knew and family knew I wasn't really there. It was a small window of time. And I went and I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to chop this fucking tree trunk down, right? I'm going to chop this tree log, right? I'm going to chop it. And I know I can't carry the axe. I know I have no idea what I'm doing. I know I've watched a shit ton of videos while I'm driving in the middle of the night doing 80 in a 60-mile zone to get to where I need to be a little bit earlier, trying to figure out how to do something. <laughs> and I'm like, damn. But what if it's like this? Let me watch a video on that one. What if it's like this? Let me watch a video about that one, right? And then when you get there, you realize the task. And you get there a little bit late, like late ish. And you're just like, all right, this is a good time. Timing is good. But how do I lift this ax? I'm not Thor. And you've been watching videos for freaking six hours straight. Your feet are swollen because you haven't walked around. Um, and then you see lumberjacks and you're like, stop it. Stop. Stop. And you're just like, huh, how do I convince these lumberjacks to get the job done for me? Obviously, I'm not a hot woman, okay? I look like shit, too. I mean, I was on the road for, like, forever and a day, and I only had two pee breaks, and I was pumping gas and running. I mean, the one time, I almost left the gas pump in the gas thing. So today, five years ago, for me, was crazy because it was just me. I had pre-planned on the second and on the first in Georgia. And then I had to, you know, I was like, it's going to be, they're going to get caught. Anyway, on that note, I'm going to wish you guys a fantastic evening and, um, they won't control us. We'll be victorious.
paranoia is in bloom. The PR transmissions will resume. They'll try to push drugs to keep us all dumbed down and hope that we will never see the truth around. Another promise, another seed, another package lie to keep us trapped in greed. You see that? Green belts wrapped around our minds, endless red tape to keep the truth confined.